0: The Eagle and Child, Episode Twenty Nine.
1: Mere Christianity, Book Four, Chapter One: Making and Begetting.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week my friend Matt and I share a beer, and we discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David. And today we're going to be making another podcast episode. And once again, I'm joined by my co-creator, Matt.
1: As I've gone deeper into my journey, I found Christianity to be the greatest story ever told. This incredible adventure, it's filled with battle and beauty. And it's exhilarating. But as every good adventurer knows, you need a map. In this chapter, what I look forward to is we're going to dig into some deep theology. In fact, this book... The book four is much more into deeper theology. And Lewis preps us by reminding us that theology, it's necessary. It's this map to the adventure of Christianity. And we'll begin this journey by asking ourselves, what's the difference between making and begetting? And ultimately, how does this apply to our relationship with God and Christianity? And I think our quote will be very fitting for this topic. It's a classic Lewis one. He says, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. It's going to be very applicable to making and begetting. Hmm.
0: That was from Mere Christianity. We've we've come across this quote before, right? Yes.
1: And I, we like to have quotes that aren't from Mere Christianity, but this is just such a good one. Fair enough. And
0: what are we drinking today?
1: It was a gift because it was my birthday recently. Happy birthday yeah. again. Yeah, thank you. As the listeners are hearing this, it's probably going to have been weeks and weeks ago, but... <laughs> They they got me this bottle of Monkey Shoulder, which is a blended whiskey. I've never had it before. It's really good, so I'm excited to share it with you. But it, it'll be different than what we're. It's not. It's different than a single male...
0: <laughs> Use your words. You haven't drunk that much.
1: I, I know. We haven't even started drinking yet. It, it, it's different than a Macallan single malt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a blended, obviously. I love blended. Cheers. Cheers. Not bad. Yeah, I like it. I feel like making a shout out to my friends and then saying, if you hear this, you must tell me that you heard this just to see if they truly (laughs) listen to the episode. This is my chance. Uh, It was was, uh, Chris and Ryan from my church community.
0: And if you do hear this, send more scotch.
1: Yes, that's even more (laughs) important, actually. We'll forgive you for not doing this as long as you send more scotch.
0: So we are now entering book four. This is the final book of Mere Christianity. And I do wonder how many arguments Lewis had in the run-up to this book. Because he starts off by saying that lots of people told him that nobody really cares about theology. What people need is what he calls plain practical religion. But he, but he says, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to tell you about theology.
1: I love it. But what's sad, though, is I would say, and I don't know if your experience is this, but More people today don't even want plain practical religion. They just want spirituality. We've Hmm. gone a step further, unfortunately.
0: But what I really appreciate about Lewis is his rationale, why he thinks talking about theology is important. He says, I do not think the ordinary reader is such a fool. Theology means the science of God, and I think any man who wants to think about God at all would like to have the clearest and most accurate ideas about him which are available. You are not children. Why should you be treated like children? You know,
1: there are certain times, probably once every three or four chapters, where there's something Lewis says that I think, oh, he is taking a jab. <laughs> he's very good at being politically correct, but here I just I don't think the reader's such a fool.
0: Good way to get them on his side.
1: Yeah, but that's like I said, Imagine you were the one countering him, saying, "I don't need theology." He's saying, "You're not a child." I mean, he's kind of bashing your comments.
0: Well, he's saying, it's like, I believe in you. I think you can do more than you well,
1: that's think. That's what he's trying to, to come off as. But don't kid yourself. You're hearing that and you're thinking, oh, ouch, he's calling me a fool and a child. If I no, this. no, no, no,
0: no. what this did make me think of was Bishop Barron, because I've heard him rail against dumbed-down Christianity multiple times. I remember one time he said he went to, I think it was his niece's graduation, and he looked at all of the books that they had been reading. You know, there's some pretty heavy stuff there, some philosophy, um, some Shakespeare and then he saw their religion textbooks. And he said it was basically a coloring book. Really? Yeah. And I mean, I'd certainly say this was true for me. When I looked at a lot of my religious education, a lot of my Sunday school, it was... It, I spent most of my time doing coloring in projects. And actually, the other day, I, I was at a secondhand bookstore and I came across a high school religion textbook. I think it was from the 50s. And there was, it, was, it was fantastic. It was a complete course in Christianity, apologetics, philosophy, science. It was wonderful.
1: You know it's interesting that it, this reminds me of our video series that's going to come out—the one on faith and reason. Yeah, we 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 think that those are separate, but in, and they're not synonymous, but they're contradictory. But that's not the case at all. And I don't. I it's funny you say that. I, I was just given this book by a gentleman called The Evidence of Faith, and it was written sixty years ago. And actually, I'm thinking some of the arguments are much more profound than Catholic apologetics or apologists today for Christianity. And that was 70 years ago. I mean, they, they were brilliant, philosophical, incredibly intelligent. I'm like, wow, this is like a whole other level of intellectual arguments.
0: Well, we shouldn't have what Lewis would call chronological snobbery. Just think that because an idea is new and modern, that it therefore is much better than something older.
1: That's what I was actually falling into the trap of. I assume people writing 70 years ago don't have the knowledge <laughs> we do today. That was a bad mindset.
0: So returning to the idea of theology, he, he admits that some people are put off by theology And he tells the story of when he had given a talk to the RAF. Someone stood up and said, I've got no use for all of that stuff. But mind you, I'm a religious man too. I know there's a God. I felt him. Out alone in the desert at night. The tremendous mystery. And that's just why I don't believe all your neat little dogmas and formulas about him. To anyone who's met the real thing, they all seem so petty and pedantic and unreal.
1: Rather than saying the man's wrong, I like that he starts by affirming the beauty of the statement. I mean, he says, that's true, and that's awesome, and and, and that's an incredible thing to have experienced that. But then he uses an analogy to point out the incompleteness of the statement. Mm -hmm. Not that it was wrong. And he compares experiencing the Atlantic from a beach and experiencing the Atlantic from a map. Here's what he says. If a man has once looked at the Atlantic from the beach and then goes and looks at a map of the Atlantic... He also will be turning from something real to something less real, turning from real waves to a bit of colored paper. And, and so that's, of course, true. So the guy who goes and experiences God in the desert and reads theology, yeah, it's not the same thing, mm-hmm. and he's not arguing it. But he does say that in the map, in the analogy of the map, it is superior in other ways.
0: Yeah. Firstly, he says, it's based on more than just my experience. It's now the collective experience of the people of God, of the church.
1: And that's 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 thousands of people across thousands of years.
0: Yeah, and thousands of miles. Yeah. Bringing it back to the map, he says, The map is based on what hundreds and thousands of people have found out by sailing the real Atlantic. Masses of experience, just as real as the one you have from the beach. But only, while yours is only a single, isolated glimpse, the map fits all these different experiences together.
1: And I like that last part because... Essentially, what he's pointing out, in my view, is the map can enhance your experience of mm-hmm. the Atlantic. Imagine if you went to the Atlantic and you had no idea. It's the grandeur of it. Of course, you, you stand there and you can't see, you, you, you see the horizon. But now, if you know how large it is because of a map, it takes on a whole new meaning. Like, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, there's another country across the other side. There's a whole nother world and civilization somewhere way beyond the distance. But I wouldn't know that without the map.
0: It becomes more incredible, not less. It does. The other point he makes is that a map is useful if you want to travel. He says, if you want to go anywhere, a map is absolutely necessary. As long as you are content with walks on the beach, your own glimpses are far more fun than looking at a map. But the map is going to be more useful than walks on the beach If you want to go to America.
1: Imagine if you go to the beach, you see the ocean, you go, what an adventure I want. I want a journey on that adventure into the ocean. That's where the map
0: comes into play. Mm.
1: The beach is nice, but there's so much more out there.
0: And so he says theology is like a map. Uh, It's based on more than my own subjective experience, and it's indispensable for navigating Christianity. Jack says theology is practical. I, I really believe in that statement. I think anything in Christianity is not just purely theoretical. There's a therefore. There's a consequence to it. And he does warn us that in the same way that the experience without the map is deficient, likewise, the map without the experience is deficient. He says, merely learning and thinking about Christian doctrine, if you stop there, is less real and less exciting than direct spiritual experiences.
1: That, that comment you made, theology is practical, brings me back to a point that we bring up a lot because of Lewis throughout all of his chapters. I mean, he this is a theme in his. Theology is practical because it's, te- it's telling you how the creator of the universe created the world, what he's like, not just so we can have these great fun discussions and conversations, but so we can learn how to live and experience his creation in the right way. That's what theology is supposed to do. It's not supposed to be arbitrary rules hindering
0: you. Mm-hmm. Religion is reality.
1: Yeah, it's not as you've said before, David. Actually, this is going to come in a video series, but I thought this was the best comment. It's not this God that created these things that you're having fun. He goes, he sends on a <laughs> tablet that says, thou shalt not to stop you from having fun. That's not what theology is. That's not what religion is. And the other thing I was thinking of is all of this makes me think of what a priest said to me once. I got really caught up in the theology side of it without the, the experiential side of it. And he, he warned me, be careful you can miss heaven by 18 inches, mm-hmm. the distance between your head and your heart. And so, again, you need them both. You, that theology is really important. But then if it's not getting to your heart and you're not experiencing, you're not encountering Christ, you're not receiving his graces, it doesn't matter how much theology you know.
0: And the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. mind. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> Jack then goes on to say that you can't avoid having ideas about God. It's just a question of whether or not they're good ideas.
1: Or bad ones.
0: Yes. (laughs) He says a great many people have ideas about God which are trotted out as novelties today, but they're simply ones which real theologians tried centuries ago and rejected. In the previous episode, we talked about the value of learning church history, as you can spot a heresy when it reappears.
1: To make this more personal, I've learned this firsthand. There have been a lot of times when I was first coming into reading scripture. Uh, very consistently, which is a beautiful thing to do. But I'm reading it, coming up with my own interpretations and then starting to create these new ideas and at first starting to disagree with a lot of church teaching. And then when I decided to actually dig into the church history, I realized I'm not the first person who's thought of this. And then there's a whole history and it explains why my understanding is incorrect of it. And when I read the full thing, I'm like, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense now. But it's funny how you can think that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have the guidance of theologians.
0: Back in Lewis's day, and I don't think this is any less true today, popular culture tries to reduce Christianity just to Jesus's moral teachings. And it tells us that if we adopted his teaching, the world would be a better place.
1: And we still think this today. This mm. is nothing new. I don't know why we all want to seem to make Jesus this great moral teacher.
0: Because we've proved that you can't say that. Back in book two, Lewis presented his trilemma. Either he's liar, lunatic, or lord.
1: Yeah, that's what Lewis said is the one thing you cannot call him
0: a great moral teacher. But what about that second part? What about that popular idea that, well, if we at least adopted Jesus' teaching, the world would be a better place? And while
1: that's true, Lewis points out you don't even need to go as far as Jesus if you're just looking for the world to be a happier place. You can read Socrates, Aristotle, Confucius. If we were to follow those teachings, there was plenty of that for the world to be a better place.
0: And I love, love way he says, but we didn't follow these guys. Yeah. So and why are we going to follow Jesus? Yeah. And you said, well, because his moral system is better. Yes, but it's also more exacting. And if we wouldn't do the other system that required less of us, why on earth would we adopt a system that requires even more of us?
1: I read that. My mind was blown.
0: (laughs) I'm like, yeah, oh, we just just
1: haven't gotten to perfect morality. No, that's that's just not the case.
0: And there's a line in here which I think sums up Lewis's response to this idea of Christianity being reduced to moral teaching. He says, If Christianity only means one more bit of good advice, Christianity is of no importance. There has been no lack of good advice for 4,000 years, A bit more makes no difference.
1: Yeah. So it's apparent that Christianity is about much more than just becoming a better person. In fact, you hear all the time it's about becoming sons of God. I like that Lewis writes, As soon as you look at any real Christian writings, you find that they are talking about something quite different from this popular religion you and I were discussing. They say that Christ is the son of God, whatever that means. They say that those who give him their confidence can also become sons of God. Again, whatever that means. They say that his death saved us from our sins. And Lewis puts a third time, whatever that means. What he's pointing out here in this quote is, none of this has to do with becoming better people. There's something more happening. That, That may happen. We might become happier, better place. But they're talking about something far greater than this. Becoming sons of
0: God. And he says you shouldn't complain that this is all sounding rather difficult. Um, again, it comes back to the idea of book two about religion being reality. He says Christianity claims to be telling us about another world, about something beyond the world that we can touch and hear and see. You may think that claim false. But if it were true, what it tells us would be bound to be difficult, at least as difficult as modern physics and for the same reason. So we now finally get to speaking about what it means to be begotten and what it means to be made.
1: Essentially, that first bit of theology, this whole part has been building to the importance of theology. Now we're going to go to this very first piece of high theology, call it.
0: And the first thing he corrects is the misunderstanding. In the creed, when we speak about Jesus as begotten, not made, it's not referring to the incarnation. It's not referring to when he became a fetus in Mary's womb. It's talking about, from all eternity, he was begotten.
1: Actually, I don't know if I ever knew that. I don't know if I should admit that on a podcast. <laughs> no, it's okay. We don't. Know. I'm happy to admit that I did not know that.
0: Well, the next question is, what does it actually mean to beget? And he makes the central point that to beget something means to produce something of, a, of the same kind.
1: He gives the example here of parents. When the parents bring life into this world, they're
0: begetting the child. A man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. And a bird begets eggs, which turn into little birds.
1: But making is something different. I can make something that's different than me. I can make a house. There's no relationships in essence to me. I can make a sculpture. I can make... There's a difference between making and begetting.
0: Yeah, he says a bird makes a nest, a beaver makes a dam, a man makes a wireless set, a radio. And he says that actually men can be particularly clever here, because we might, say, make a statue. And it might be really good and look like a real man, but it can't breathe, it can't think, it's not alive. So even though it might look like a man, we still haven't made another man.
1: We are created, but not begotten. Jesus is a begotten son of God.
0: We meaning, are... meaning he's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, as the exactly. creed says.
1: We are created. And going back to your example of a man could create a sculpture that looks very similar to him, we are created in that sense. It's almost that same relation uh, as us to God as if we were to create a sculpture.
0: Yeah, Lewis says this. What God begets is God. So that's Jesus. Just as what man begets is man. So that's parents and children. What God creates, so that's us, is not God. Just as what man makes is not man. The example of the statue. That is why men are not sons of God in the sense that Christ is. They may be like God in certain ways, but they are not things of the same kind. The word we have in the creed is often translated as of one essence or consubstantial. Um, In the Greek, it's homoousios. He says men are more like statues or pictures of God. And then Lewis takes us through a brief tour of creation. It's it's beautiful, but we don't need to go into too much detail here. But he shows how different aspects of creation reflect God's nature and to differing degrees. Space reflects something of God. Matter reflects something of God. The vegetable world, animals, higher mammals, and then finally man. And we are the most complete resemblance of God that we know of. Because man not only lives, but he loves and he reasons. Biological life reaches its highest known level in him. But then Lewis says that there's still something missing he says that there are two different kinds of life and what we as humans have he calls it bios this is our natural life but he says what, what we're still lacking is what he calls zoe this supernatural life and
1: lewis says to that point a man who changed from having bios the natural life to having zoe the spiritual life supernatural life would have gone through as big a change as a statue which changed from being a carved stone to being a real man. So when we talk about becoming sons of God, that's what's happening. Okay. It's like a carved stone, a statue, becoming a real man. That's how drastic this is. So when we talk about Jesus being a great moral teacher, when we talk about Christianity just becoming better people, that, that's nothing.
0: That falls far too short. We are called to something infinitely more glorious. Lewis says, and this is precisely what Christianity is about. The world is a great sculptor's shop and we are statues and there is a rumour going around the shop that some of us, someday, are going to come to life. This is the purpose of Christianity. Not just to make us better people, but to give us God's own life and to draw us up into the life of God.
1: I love that. This is why Christianity is so beautiful. The adventure of it. I mean, this is so incredible. We should, want it. we should want this more than anything else in the world.
0: I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you all again for emails and comments that are continuing to come in. And we appreciate the new iTunes reviews which have been coming in. And I realized I was being a bit of a hypocrite. Because here I am each week asking you to write iTunes reviews. And I don't do them very often. So now at the end of each episode... I'm going to read you a little review that I wrote for another podcast that you yourself might be interested in. Today's is The Lamp Post Listener. It's just started, I think they're on episode four. And it's these two guys, they're reading The Chronicles of Narnia, one chapter at a time. So basically doing what we're doing, but doing it with Lewis's fictional works. And one thing I will say, I'm really pleased, they're reading the books in the right order. Publication order. Because you have some heretics out there that have alternative ideas you know who you are kate
1: You <laughs> just called her out i love it
0: well we'll find out she listens
1: <laughs> we are gonna find out
0: anyway here's the review i wrote i love the chronicles of Narnia. i lost track of the number of times i've read the books but if there's one thing better than reading a great book it's reading a great book with other people that's why i was particularly delighted to come across this podcast last week i get to read all the books again but this time with phil and daniel I'm really looking forward to the journey ahead, gentlemen. Further up and further in. Cheers. <laughs> and you actually might notice, they actually have the same sign-off as we do. Which I think is fine. There's fine. There's, there's room for all of us. So until next time, further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.